Scarantino, and this is the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Every week, I'm going to be talking about a new topic to help you guys get the fuck off the shit that doesn't serve you anymore. But first, let me tell you a little bit about me. I used to work as a bartender, and I lived in the New York City bar scene. I smoked between a pack or two a day, and I was what you'd call quite overweight. I learned that the secret to adopting a healthy lifestyle is a series of mindset shifts. Unfortunately, they don't always come with an owner's manual, so I decided to start this podcast to give you guys the nuts and bolts without you having to do all the research on your own. Getting healthy does not mean you have to sacrifice your outstanding personality, and it actually can be quite a fun journey. I'm really excited to have you guys on that journey with me. Let's get off together. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Was off last week because I was in Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania to celebrate my mom's 60th birthday. That was really exciting. I'm going to talk about that today on the podcast. I was having some in, um, some interesting thoughts when I was thinking about a title for this episode because I made a little post-it. I often do that of what I wanted to talk about. And then I thought, well, what's the title of the episode? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to start talking about shit. And then when I'm done... I'll come up with a title. So I have no idea what the title is that you guys are reading as uh, that you clicked on to listen to this episode. So that's fun. Uh, but the first thing I did want to talk about was my trip to Punxsutawney because that was super exciting. So fun fact about me, I am actually from Pennsylvania. I'm from northeast Pennsylvania, which is very different from western Pennsylvania. We have this old... I'm not actually going to even say it. Uh, saying about Pennsylvania that talks about the polarity... Of the state, we've got Pittsburgh on one side, we have Philadelphia on the other side, and in the middle we have, it's very different than the two major cities. Let's just go to say that. And the western side of our state is very different than the eastern side. I'm about two and a half hours, I'm originally about two and a half hours outside of New York City. So I'm from northeast Pennsylvania, two and a half hour drive to go see my parents if I wanted to. Even though there's a lot of clout with living in a big city and living in New York City, the truth is I didn't go very far from my home base. I only went about an hour and a half. And um, yeah, you know, I only went about an hour and a half from my family. And uh, I claim Pennsylvania. There's a lot of parts about me that are very Pennsylvania. My humor is Pennsylvania. You know, I've got a lot of uh, holdover values from Pennsylvania. I'm Polish, and uh, I'm from a Polish-Italian community in Pennsylvania. Polish people are very hardworking people, and so I've, I've kept that value with me as I've gotten older to the point almost that it works to my detriment because sometimes I, I notice myself in my – throughout my life, really, but even now – I notice myself falling into judgment about people that don't work as hard as I do. Like, well, you should be working harder. Even though, like, I do the, like, I, I do the whole disconnect and, you know, create space and leave room for inspiration. I believe in all those things. Those are some of the things we're going to talk about in the episode. But that old, like, hardworking value system that has been passed down for generations through of, of Polish people, like, really sticks with me, you know, like, it, it's just a an ingrained 
sort of value that I have. And you, you see a lot of that in Pennsylvania. Like even when I was in Western Pennsylvania, even when we were in Punxsutawney, we went to uh, the number one uh, restaurant on Yelp, Frank's Star Lunch. We went there because three of the five of us are gluten-free. But uh, gluten-free was, was necessary. Um, my mom was actually diagnosed with celiac disease in the 90s before people even knew what that was, before there was any good-tasting food that was gluten-free. Like everything just tasted like sand and you needed to learn to read labels and it was just a, a wild time. It was like the Wild West, you know. <laughs> like, but um, three of them, three of us were gluten-free. So we went to the – uh, Frank's Star lunch, and that had they had gluten free bread and and, and gluten free buns, and that's kind of like we thought that that was wild for like a little town in Podunk, Pennsylvania. But it ended up they the service was great, the people were really nice, and even when we were in there, I noticed that they had like kielbasa. I actually ate kielbasa, and uh, like pierogies on their menu, and these are very Polish staples. There are a lot of poles in in Pennsylvania. And, um, you know, I, I, I am, I am of that variety. I am, uh, I am definitely, um, I am definitely that. So the hardworking value is something that I have carried with me throughout my life. And it's very like thump, thump, keep going, keep moving, keep doing all of those things. And the thing is, that actually isn't the way that we create a magical life for ourselves. This is wild, I know. I'm going to get into some of the science, and uh, I hope that the science will be absorbed by you all. So I'm going to actually talk about, while I'm, while I'm there, while my brain is there, let's talk about the science of that. So the thing about it is, we have um, our brain... We have different brain waves that exist, and our thinking mind is what we call beta brain waves. So, beta brain waves, we actually have uh, four main types of brain waves that we're going to kind of deal with and, and talk about. So, the, the first is delta waves, um, which is our deep sleep. When we're sleeping, that's delta. That's also like a newborn baby, would primarily be in delta waves. Theta brain waves, so delta waves are 1 to 4 hertz. Uh, theta brain waves, 4 to 7 hertz, is, is our deep meditation in our first stages of sleep. Also, when you first open your eyes in the morning, that is theta. That's a theta brain wave state. Alpha brain waves, 7 to 12 hertz, is, is our relaxation. Um, and that's a creative state, a very creative. And then we have beta brain waves, which is our conscious reasoning. So a lot of us spend a lot of time in beta. Um, beta brain waves are the second fastest type of brain frequency uh, underneath gamma, which I'm not going to really talk about. And we display beta brain waves when we're solving complex problems. Logical thinkers tend to have higher weight of beta brain waves. I am a logical thinker. I used to live in beta. I was always think, 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 and. You know, we wind ourselves up. I like to say that we wind ourselves up because when we're in beta, what happens is we, we get into, you know, those thought spirals that you guys might have. I'll give you an example. My grandmother is notorious for these thought spirals. And now that she's a very old lady, she just can't get out of them at all. But like one of the, the examples is my mother uh, was over at her house recently and she's at this age where she can't really remember anything. 
And so my mother's like, well, you know, like she's and she's winding herself up about not being able to remember. And my mother suggested, well, you know, you know, you could go and, and be in assisted living where, you know, they would help you with these things. And she was like, well, I can't be among people. And she's like, well, if you can't be among people, then X, Y, Z, you know, whatever the other solution was to living at her house. Well, I can't do that. And then it was just a spiral. It was just going back and forth. Uh, I see this a lot with people that I work with, some people in, uh, you know, that they, it's like, well, I can't do this because of this. Well, then you, you suggest another option. Well, I can't do that because of this. And you just go in the spiral. Well, I'm too busy and I, I'm too busy to do, blah, blah, blah. well, I'm too busy. You know how it feels, right? Like you're just, you're just constantly in the spiral loop, like, if you actually think about the last thing that you were spiraling about, you probably could even feel the way that it's moving in your body. Um, but there's positives to, to beta brainwaves. Um, you're more alert. You're more focused. You're more goal-oriented. You can think quickly. You can problem-solve. You have confidence. These are positive. The problem is, is that a lot of us just live our whole lives in beta. We never slow down. We never get the fuck out of beta. And when we don't get the fuck out of beta, we have less creativity in our experience. All right, now, what I'm telling you guys, by the way, is all, you can read all about the four different types of brainwaves in Dr. Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, or you can just do a quick Google search and on uh, types of brainwaves. And all of this information is readily public on the, on the internet, so just... Go nuts learning about your brainwaves. Now, for us to be able to create and connect to those universal forces, like you've heard about law of attraction and things like that. A lot of us talk about that, but do we really know what that means? It means that that conscious reasoning, hyperanalytical, hyperlogical state needs to go by the wayside. We need to just push that out we, and we need to slow down. Uh, my mentor Andy used to say, slow down, slow down slow down and a lot of people can't see a point for it um I see a lot that I, I don't see a point to meditation well you're an idiot <laughs> because what you're doing is you're not connecting to the greater forces that exist and you're not connecting to your own creativity when you get into the spiral and the loop there is a solution that exists out of the thought spiral that you're in. Now that might be with a relationship, that might be with your job, that might be what to do next in your business. There is a solution to the way out, but that solution cannot be found through analytical thought. It has to be found in slower states. That's just, that, that, that's basically fact. You know, and, and what I used to think, I'll just go back to my early days of coaching. In my early days of coaching, I was very much an informational coach. And I had a lot of insecurity about this actually because I used to think that, and I didn't have an insecurity about my coaching. I had insecurity about the fact that I used to think that I could just give people information and those people would then make transformation like that was my thought around it all I was like I will give you information and then you will use that information to make transformation that was the whole thought process that I was in 
And my insecurity was around the fact like I need to continuously consume information at a lightning fast pace because I need to be ahead of everybody so that I can continue to give them more information when appropriate. Well, that's wrong, actually. That's completely wrong. Um, You do need information. You do need information to make transformation. That part's right. But the idea that a human would just take the information and then make transformation is wrong. So that was like my first, I don't know, maybe six months of coaching, like way back in the day. I mean, it's not that way back in the day, but it's now several years, several years, you know, back. And then... I ended up in a coaching certification program with Sean Smith and it was all about neurotransformational coaching which used neurolinguistic programming. It used concepts from NLP but also he incorporated a lot of his own work in terms of locating things in your body and being able to really connect to your body. And and at the time, I, I sat in this and I was like, okay, so it's like and, and I had been noticing like through my own work that, okay, information does not equal transformation. It helps people get closer to transformation, but it doesn't facilitate transformation. So where's the disconnect? And the disconnect is that the information doesn't access your subconscious and you consciously do not have access to your subconscious and you certainly don't have it in beta. But I, I thought about myself and I'm like, but why did it work for me? Like, why did I receive information and make transformation, but all these other people are receiving information and they're not making transformation? Like, that was the disconnect. I didn't understand why I was able to do this, but other people didn't do this. And I now know the answer. And it was almost like I forgot like I had like it was like I like I tell people everything in your experience is connected and so I was thinking in my mind oh well I've received this information and now I've made transformation I was thinking that in my mind right that was the that was the thought I've received information and now I've made transformation completely forgetting completely 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 forgetting that I am a distance runner. Like, it just didn't occur to me that that could have anything to do with it. I'm like, well, I'm a distance runner. You know, I run distance. You know, that's just something I do. And it wasn't until, I don't even know. Like, because I started to see. I started to see with my work with clients. I'm like, okay, like I'm giving them information and they're getting it and they're connecting things but there's still something missing that's put like there's still something missing and that's when I started studying NLP and I started you know I started studying all these other things because it's like okay I have to access their subconscious mind I have to be able to access the subconscious that that was something I knew and and I got training in that but I was still wondering well why do I have to do that for them like why can't they take the information and turn it into transformation like why why do they need all this extra shit I'm a distance runner and I omitted the idea that my most massive transformations happens with the aid of distance running and what happens to distance runners when they run long distances. 
Like, what happens? Well, I can tell you what happens. Distance runners run long distances. And have you heard of the runner's high? Like, have you guys ever heard of that? The, the feeling of, of oneness, the feeling of connection, the feeling. It's, it's really like a high. It's, it's like being on drugs. Not that I would know because I haven't really done drugs. I can only assume that this is what, what drugs would feel like. I know what being really drunk feels like. And there's an element of euphoria. But this was like something else. This is the most elevated sort of feeling that I had experienced in my existence. The runner's high. The runner's high is an alpha brainwave state. And alpha waves, I'm going to read you about alpha waves actually, it's 7 to 12 hertz. Relaxation. They relate to visualization and daydreaming. And they increase as we reach a relaxed state of mind. And creative individuals have a higher ratio of alpha brainwaves. I'm reading. I'm reading poorly. They increase as we reach a relaxed state of mind. And creative individuals have a higher ratio of alpha brainwaves. However, we can all increase alpha brainwaves by using visualization techniques, practicing meditation, and using deep breathing exercises. And they have like benefits. They promote relaxation in the body and mind, reducing nervousness and anxious thoughts. They boost our creative thinking and provide us with more insight into heightened problem-solving skills. They help artists and athletes reach that in-the-zone state of mind where performance is at its peak. These are, these are phenomenal. And they're found in the brain's occipital lobe, which is the backside of the brain, where when patients are awake with their eyes closed, you know, opening our eyes would reduce the intensity of alpha brainwaves. Unlike delta and theta waves, alpha waves are not present when we're asleep. During the day after a mental activity, the period of time right after the task is completed and you are relaxing is a state of alpha. Another example would be walking through a garden in a contemplative state. I have no idea where I pushed, pulled this from, by the way. I'm reading slides that I had in day one for one of our calls. Call 26, actually. So that was like, I don't know, nine weeks ago or something like that. I'm just reading about it. Uh, but I talked to... Um, I talked to my group about alpha waves, and uh, I don't know if any of that actually sounded good. When I go back to listen to the podcast, I'll listen to it. But alpha waves are that in-the-zone state. If your eyes are closed, it's, it's obviously you feel more connection. They're open, it's a little bit less because what happens is your brain wants to focus. Your brain wants to go and, and, and latch on to things. I am not a runner that runs with music. I don't usually run with audiobooks sometimes, like if I'm – fucking like if I need some help <laughs> you know like if I'm just like oh god I don't want to be exercising for three hours today I'm going to listen to this audiobook but most of the time it's just silence and it gets to a point where it's like you feel god and I'm not I'm not even fucking with you guys like you feel connection in a way that that is I mean today I was running today I ran 12 miles today you know, at, at about a 9.30 average, right? Like, I run pretty slow in my long runs. And it was after about mile nine. And I was just feeling it. 
like I was just feeling it. I'm just feeling that connection. And at that moment, all of those intrusive thoughts, because normally I begin a run thinking about who I'm pissed off at, who I can't stand, who I wish would just leave my fucking orbit, who I never want to speak to again, why I'm, you know, all the things that I don't like, blah, 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 ego programs. I am upset because, okay, what do I have to do this week? What am I behind on? All the analytical high beta thinking, right? And that's coming out and I'm talking to myself and I'm yelling and making... By an hour and a half into that run, then none of that left. There's nothing. It's thoughtless. It's like just this piece and this piece and all these awarenesses and these understandings come to me. And I, I used to make these massive realizations. I still do on my long runs. Now, come, cut to 2020, Andy was leading a meditation group every day. So we were there about 30 minutes every day. We meditated about 20 of those 30 minutes. So let's say that I run for a little over an hour every day. I usually run between an hour to an hour and a half every day. Um, longer runs would be two hours plus, right? So let's say, let's just say an hour. Hour, I'm running every day for an hour. Alpha waves. Then you got that meditation in there. That was another 20 minutes. This is the 2020 year. So now we've got an hour plus 20 minutes, an hour and 20 minutes every day. I'd usually do a meditation in the afternoon of about 25 to 30 minutes. So that's almost two hours every day that I would slip into alpha, if not theta. Because there would be times where I would be doing my own meditation, not guided, but just a regular meditation, either in silence or with some ambient sound. And I would slip into theta, which I'm going to tell you about theta waves since we're here. Um, they are when you first wake up, right before you go to sleep. Um, they are most profound during meditation, spiritual activities, deep reflection. Great ideas can come from this state. People connected to their inner selves. If you've ever been driving down a highway and found yourself in a state of mind where the last few miles went by in the blink of an eye, then you were in a mixture of theta and alpha. That happens to me sometimes on long runs. I don't remember them. Like, I don't remember my runs a lot. I don't remember most of the races I run. That's honest. I remember the Chicago. Like, I'm going to... Don't not going to bother with that because I don't want to make this about running. Um, theta helps with creativity, relaxes your body, connects yourself with your intuition and your subconscious. So there are times like so in that year, the 2020 year, here I am like just here trying to like start my business up, right? Because I had already been kind of working with people and I wanted to expand that to a business and I wanted to create a new job, create a new life. All of a sudden, all these new people are coming into my life. If you read Joe Dispenza's Breaking the Habit of Being Yourself, Dr. Joe Dispenza, you'll, you'll read about, you know, the possibilities and the quantum field. If you study any quantum physics, you'll know that we attract possibilities into our existence. We attract, but we don't do it in beta. We don't do it in our analytical or our conscious mind. We have to slow down. We have to slip into a slower state. And alpha and theta do that. And so when I was making all of my transformation. I did have the information. The information is important. I'm not telling you guys that information is not important, although I do believe that once you're reading things that all say the same thing and you're just chasing the next shiny object, I do believe you can put yourself in a place of redundancy. But that's a whole topic for another podcast, right? Like a lot of people just get addicted to consuming information rather than looking inward and connecting to themselves. And that, like, you're never going to make a change. Sorry, sorry, Charlie. Like, you're just not... But I had, I just thought, oh, I, I'm getting information and I'm making transformation. I'm getting information and I'm making transformation. I'm getting information. And, and I wasn't. I was slowing down. 
I'm going to go as far as to say, and just about every transformative person, even therapists who talk about, like, because I just learned, I just learned over the weekend, my brother was talking to me. My brother's been in therapy since he was like five years old because he has autism. He was talking about rereading his old journals and seeing how much he's transformed. My brother is a very wise soul. He's 31 and he is extremely wise because he reflects a lot on his experience. Wisdom doesn't come from experience. It comes from reflection on your experience. And he's neurodivergent, so he has done a lot of reflection because life is just a lot harder for him than it is for neurotypicals. And um, he was talking about reading his old journals. And I was like, well, you know, I was like, you didn't, I didn't know that you journal. He's like, yeah, it was suggested to me in therapy. The reason that that uh, is the case, the reason therapists suggest you journal is because it's a connection to your subconscious. They're not just saying it so that, you know, like for just shits and giggles. It is a connection to your subconscious mind. Your subconscious mind controls over 90% of your life, if not 95%. Like it controls most of your life. Your conscious mind controls very, very little. A quick Google search will verify this. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about the research, guys. I'm not, I'm not somebody that likes to just spout things because when I do, I tend to, you know, I like to, be able to, I like to be able to throw a source at people. And whenever I don't have a source, I tend to feel stupid. But, you know... Your subconscious mind controls most of your life. So access to the subconscious, there is a reason why all of us who work in personal development tell you to meditate. It's not just because we're like, woo, woo, oh my God, I'm so spiritual. It's because your thinking mind cannot do shit for you. Like it can't do shit. Whatever you're thinking doesn't matter it's it just can't do anything for you it's nonsense it's a spiral of thoughts you probably feel the spiral how many of you have just been stuck in the same pattern forever and ever and ever and ever like thinking more will not yield an ability to make a transformation you have to slow down. You have to slow down. You have to slow down. Now, I'm going to quote Shalane Flanagan. She said this right after she, I think it was right after. If not right after, it was a year, maybe the, the year after. Um, she won the New York City Marathon. So she won the New York City Marathon in 2017. I remember I was a brand new runner. I had just run my first race a month earlier. And I watched that on TV live. Because ABC7 here in New York does broadcast the marathon. And so I was watching and, um, oh man, like complete emotion. Like I can't even imagine, you know, that kind of thing. And she she used the line, um, not that day I don't think, but I, I remember reading it from her uh, after about race your strengths and train your weaknesses. And... Um, yeah, that's interesting, right? Raise your strengths, train your weaknesses. So my strengths, because I started this talking about how I'm Polish, right? My So my strength is hard work ethic. I'm a, I'm a hard worker. And I used to pride myself in working hard. In fact, at my job that I couldn't stand, that I talk about all the time, I couldn't stand my job. It was horrible. Um, I talk about, I, I was a very hard worker. No one would say that I am lazy. It, it, anyone that's ever worked with me, and I can be la- the thing is I can be lazy, but when I have a job that I am to do, and I have responsibility, 
I have a lot of integrity around that. And I don't show up late. I worked at that job for over 11 years. I, sh- I can count on one hand the amount of times that I was late. One hand. I can also count on one hand the amount of times that I called out of that job. I always got cover for my shifts. I came to work sick if I couldn't get anybody to to cover for me. That was just, that was kind of stress that that was good in that industry, which I don't think it is, especially after a global pandemic. But I did that and I was proud of that. And I felt guilt for going home early. I felt guilt about a lot of things. I felt guilt for not assuming the responsibility of others and, um, no one would ever say that I'm not a hard worker. I am a hard worker. I work hard. I, I believe in working hard. Even on my business, I work hard. And everyone that knows me knows I work very hard. And I work a lot. And I enjoy working a lot. And I mean, I, I think like spending the, the weekend with my mother, I kind of see where I got that. And I'm not, I think that that is an admirable quality that she has. I mean, both of us, we're away and we're both still, you know, mindful of our work and our duties to our work and um you know she was she was talking on the the first day that we were there about you know I just I have to send this email like and I need to send this email before the end of the day and I respect that about her like she she does things like that and she's also a human that understands her limits and understands her capacity she has a very high capacity to handle a lot of things and I believe so do I and I believe that some of that is genetic and some of that is, is generational and, and some of that is values that are learned and chosen. So I, I believe in that. And um, going back to that value system, that is my strength. My strength is to work hard. And so I had to use that strength to train the weakness. And the weakness was pause. Pause pause leave space for inspiration leave space for not knowing and I don't mean like and and that meant actually observing myself and how like I when I would be in a group for example I would always be kind of waiting until I had something to say that was very very valuable that contributed tons of information for everybody that that would make it easier for everybody to understand the material Right, like that—that that was a value of mine that I that I did that, and you know how I started rewiring that value. I'm going to be honest. Well, first of all, I took positive intelligence, and I realized that that was a program that I developed in my early life. I am intelligent, but the, the thing I realized, what made me realize that intelligence isn't doesn't so much matter, is that not everybody values receiving information. A lot of people don't value receiving information. They they don't even process the information. And like during COVID, for example, um, there was research that I was reading that I thought was pertinent to other people. And I wanted to share the information. And a lot of that research is still standing. You know, it's it's research that has stood the test of time. I was very mindful and I just have this ability to um, – understand like it's a leadership quality it's to be able to see things and to have an element of foresight and with my um observance I was able to see 
the people that who first got sick in New York City. I knew that COVID was an airborne virus before a lot of the media outlets were reporting that just because of the way that I saw it happen. I worked in the service industry. The people that I knew that got sick first, that got the sickest, were people that worked in a bar and by Grand Central. And our first pocket of cases in New York City were in New Rochelle, which was right off Metro North, going to Grand Central. And it was then that I was like, well, I'm going to the bodega all the time. I'm going to the grocery store all the time. I'm running races. Um, I'm working in a restaurant, but a wide open restaurant. Not like a packed bar, but a wide open restaurant. Especially during, I was working day shifts at the time, so it was wide open. And I'm not sick, but these people in this sardine can that are right by Grand Central are sick. And they're all sick. And they're all working together. This is an airborne virus. Like, so it was just, it was just something that I saw. But there was a lot of research, like some of the research, I just mentioned it in my, in my um, last email, was that uh, vitamin D deficiency was linked to uh, more severe cases of COVID, which has stood the test of time. And I noticed that as I would give people information, they were not interested in the information. They didn't care. They didn't receive it. It didn't matter to them. When I would talk about things like viral loads and days you're most contagious and all that, they didn't care. Nobody cared at all. At all. And I realized, oh my God, logic and reasoning and information do not matter to everyone. Because it's not logical for a lot of people. It's emotional. Like I, like I mentioned on this podcast before, two individuals that are in my life, in my family, that were obsessed with the hand sanitizer, and it was completely illogical. I bought a tiny container of hand sanitizer during the shortage when there was none to be found in stores. I bought it on the street. I think it was like two ounces. I bought it on the street for $5 off of a table in the Flatiron District walking to work on one of my last days of work um, before when I wasn't taking the subway because I was like, oh, I'm not going to get on the subway. And um, that thing lasted me the entire pandemic. <laughs> like, but these people were like using it compulsively. And I'm like, this is illogical. Why are you doing this? Why are you using this? It's illogical. Like this, this isn't going to make you well. This isn't going to prevent you from getting sick. I'm a nail biter. I promise you this isn't doing anything. And they 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 didn't care because it wasn't logical and uh logic didn't matter so something that i've learned that i'm just going to remind you where i was at i was talking about training your weaknesses right a weakness that i have trained is hey i do have relevant information I do have information that will make your life easier. I do have information about this that I think everyone should know. But I'm not going to jump into every conversation offering up my information because you don't care about it. That doesn't matter to you. And maybe instead of doing that, I could just pause, examine my compulsive need to offer up information and see why I have that need. And I've really worked on that over the last, the last really year and a half has been like, oh, I feel the need to provide information, but I'm not going to. I'm going to pause. So that's one of my weaknesses. One of my weaknesses, it's a strength. It's a strength in that, yeah, I usually do have valuable information. But I can choose when I want to offer up that information and when I want to just like chill. I've really worked on 
you know, getting out of beta, logical, analytical, because I want to have a marvelous life. And through all the research I've done, because I do research a lot, it is a strength as well as a weakness, I've learned that we got to leave room for inspiration. So I do. If I'm not running those distances, I sure need to be fucking sitting in meditation and mindfulness because we cannot create from a state of beta. Like we just can't. A lot of people say the phrase, I say it, you can't create from a state of survival. That's 100% true. And that's because in a state of survival, you will always retort or resort to logic. You'll go back to what makes sense to your logical mind to keep itself safe. And because of that, you'll repeat the same cycle that you've always repeated rather than expanding into something new that you have not done before. So slow down. Slow down those brain waves. Slow down. Slow down to theta. Slow down to alpha. Slow down. Just slow down. If you can slow down, because if your strength is to be like me, you know, with that with that great work ethic, which is generational, it's passed down, you know, Polish people have a very good work ethic, you know, as a sweeping generalization, like there are lazy Polish people, there's lazy all kinds of people, you know, there's also hardworking all kinds of people. But there is something to be said for culture, and, and yes, Polish people tend to be hardworking, yeah, I'm hardworking. And then there are times where I just got to slow down. There are times where I have to hold back. There are times where I don't speak. There are times when I don't step up to be the most valuable resource in the room. Sometimes I just sit there. And that is the challenge that I that I take for myself. The challenge to not consistently live in my analytical mind, but to create space in my subconscious mind with those slower, slower, slower brainwaves because otherwise information doesn't sink in. And sometimes when you come to an epiphany, you don't usually come to that epiphany when you're thinking it through. It comes to you just on its own. Like when you're sitting in silence, when you're sitting in a meditative, contemplative state, it doesn't just happen as you're – no one ever thought their way to a breakthrough. It happens when we interrupt. And that's important. And – um. Yeah, that's really important. That's something that we do in coaching. Um, I am a coach. I'm not just here to entertain you. I am a coach and I do have things that I say and the way that I present things that help humans because you have a dialogue and a rhetoric that you just tell people. You tell people the same story over and over. I can I hear it with every client, with every member of my group. I hear it. I don't always point it out, but I hear it. It's the same shit. Everybody has the same story that they tell over and over and over again. And your brain doesn't like to let go of that story. It's rehearsed it so many times in your mind that you don't even realize that it's doing that, right? Like it's it's doing it over and over and over again. And there are ways that we say and phrase things to just get your mind to just... And then all of a sudden, usually you'll feel pissed off or insulted, honestly, I think I've spent more time angry at Andy Petronic in the past three years than I've spent angry at any other human because he just says things in a way that pisses me off so bad. But the thing is, what he's doing is, I don't even, like, I'm, I'm sure he's doing it consciously. <laughs> what he's doing is he's hard interrupting my internal dialogue so that I have to stop and I have to reassess. 
And that sometimes can leave you mad. Um, coaches are professional agitators. It's that way on purpose because your brain is betraying you. Your brain is betraying you with story. So what we do is we come in and we jet and we, we throw you, we throw loops at you. We throw curveballs. We say shit in weird ways. Like it's just fun. And when you're finished, you're thinking in new ways and that's cool. So if you want to see what look working with me looks like, uh, please do go to my website, getthefuckoff.com. And you can fill out the short coaching application if you're really interested. Um, it's very short. doesn't have a lot of questions. I, uh, yeah, I just fill it out. Um, what that'll do is it'll give me an email and um, I will be able to read your responses. And then I'll get back to you within probably 24 to 48 hours. And the reason that I, I'm quick with responding to email, uh, one of my newest clients actually noted that because I responded the next day. He's like, oh, that was a lot quicker than expected. Listen, I don't wear busy as a badge of honor. Like I, I don't believe in that Western value of busy being something that um, like gives me status or gives me any of that nonsense like that's not something that I buy into that's a program like a lot of people are like I'm so busy I forgot that can you resend this can you resend that can you give me the zoom info again you're disorganized you're pretending you're busy because you think that it's a badge of honor but you're a disorganized fuck get your life together get your shit together organize your calendar respond to your fucking emails Respond to them right away. Don't let them sit for a week. You're not that fucking busy. Create a fucking hour of your day and respond to all your emails. Don't be a fuck. That's the way I feel about it. <laughs> so anyway, maybe that's a habit of highly successful people. I don't know. I'm also, you know, I'm working my way up. Remember, I worked in a restaurant for most of my life. I My barometer of success is how much am I, you know, like, what's my rate of expansion? And my rate of expansion is pretty tremendous. So, um, yeah. I, I, I consider myself a highly successful person. Anyway, I will respond to you quickly because I don't re- wear busy as a badge of honor. So please feel free to hit me up on, on my website. And uh, other than that, I don't have anything else for you. Uh, if you want to hear about what Punxsutawney was like, holy fuck, man. I mean, that was something else. But I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you a quick story and then, we're, then I'm going to jump off here and you guys can go enjoy your day. Maybe you're already enjoying your day. Maybe you're on your commute or something like that. We're in Punxsutawney. And we fell for it. And that's the only thing that I can say. We fell for it. So there's no parking at Gobbler's Knob. You have to take one of the shuttle buses up to Gobbler's Knob. And we found out all this information the night before. So essentially, my mom's awesome. She got us tickets to the Groundhog Day banquet. And that was at the Punxsutawney Area High School. And so the five of us were sitting at one table. And I'm sorry, four of us. There were four of us? How many of us were there? One, two, three, five of us. There were five of us at the table. And uh, there were eight seats and three other individuals were seated with us. Now, my mom was born in 1963 and we were there to celebrate her 60th birthday. And two of the individuals that were at the table were class of 1963. Actually, all three of them were. But the, the married couple were Mr. and Mrs. Groundhog in 1963 in their graduating class from Punxsutawney High School. 
And the guy, um, there were two men and a woman, one married couple and a single man. And the guy that was in the married couple, he was telling us all of the stories. He was very close with one of the members of the inner circle. I think that he was related to him or something like that. And he was telling us all about how... In the early days, the way that he described it is, guys just got in their trucks with the groundhog, and then they went to the stump, and then they got the prediction, they went back in their trucks, and they went to work. We used to have maybe a thousand people, but then the movie happened, and they were sending buses from everywhere. Penn State would send buses, this school would send buses, well... We just weren't prepared for that. And he starts telling this story of all of these people. He's like, and, you know, it's a family event. And they had people, they were coming in drunk. There was one guy that was on drugs. He was nude in the tree above the stage. Finally, the state police got involved. He's still telling this whole story. And then he was talking about the Groundhog Club. He said, you know, they didn't have two nickels to rub together. They never trademarked anything. Well, finally, they decided this guy owned a bus company. And he had like 400 buses. And he thought, I could make some money off of this. So apparently the story is. The bus company is how they make money on the event because they didn't trademark anything, so they couldn't sell anything. So the bus is $5 per person to get up to Gobbler's Knob. So they have all of these school buses that will, they're actual school buses that will shuttle you up there. And it's, and it, or it's a two-mile, I think it's a two-mile walk. You could walk. Well, it's fucking freezing. It's February 2nd. You know, so we we were told that it would get very busy. There would be very long lines. We weren't sure if we'd be able to get up there. So we should be, you know, down in the lobby of the hotel by 2.30 in the morning. Right? So here we are getting up at like quarter to two. My brother and his fiance got up, I think, at one, like in the morning. Nuts. Um, and then we're down there at like 2.30. And uh, we end up getting one of the first buses to go up to Gobbler's Knob. Oh, God, everybody, it was so cold. It was like, so, like it was well below freezing. I think it was 10 degrees out. And the sun's not out. And, you know, they promise you that there's fires. There's no, there, there was one fire. And you couldn't get near it. Like, you couldn't get near it. So we get there, and unbeknownst, in our minds, each of us have the thought in our minds, I'm not going to make it. And if you're ever, like, standing on freezing snow-covered ground, in this 10 degree weather, you're like, holy fuck, like your feet just start getting whatever type of, like you just can't feel them. And it's like, oh, this is actually really scary. So about, probably about 30 minutes into it, we all were very much questioning our decision. And um, we weren't even there early enough to get right next to the stage. So we were thinking, well, we're not going to be right next to the stage anyway. So then we started to think of options. So first we went into the souvenir store and the souvenir store was nice until they started kicking people out. Then they started telling us that they were going to have a warming tent and they were setting it up. Well, that warming tent was about 10 degrees warmer than the outside air, which is still below freezing, but we didn't care. We were like, we got to get in there. And uh, because we were not appropriately dressed at all. I'm going to tell you guys something. Because we were told the night before by the gentleman sitting at the table with us, faster, he said, it's faster than you would faster than you would even believe people run for the buses after the prediction. So we were like, okay, we are in pain. I mean, you're talking like every second of that hour felt like 
18 minutes. <laughs> we were there four hours. I, I don't think I've run now many marathons and that was more miserable than any marathon that I've ever run. Truth, truth be told, even Steamtown Marathon, which was 80 degrees by the finish. And that was my first marathon. So my first experience hitting the wall, this was worse. Well, we decide it's getting to be right before the prediction. We're like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to run. Soon as we hear it, we're going to run. And um, my future sister-in-law and I, we had that, we had that, our, that thought. Like, that was our thought. We're like, okay, we're going to run. And, you know, all of us kind of were on the same page. We're like, we're going to stand as close to the buses as possible. We're going to be in the back. So we're not going to be right next to the stage because we, we got to get out of here. We're going to die. <laughs> you know, like, we're not going to be able to tolerate this. I'm telling you what, everybody. The word shadow was barely uttered the line was a shadow on my stage i'm telling you what we turned around to look there were droves of people taking off running to these buses i mean so we were like run (laughs) like we started it was this it was a stampede (laughs) My brother actually has a video of us running and we didn't even make the first round of buses and we started running the second that he said that. And I mean, it was just wild. I have a photo. Um, We ended up getting like the second round buses and I have a photo at the window of the bus and it looks like freaking Woodstock outside of the window. Like people went fucking running like get me the fuck out of here. It was like nothing I'd ever experienced in my life. It was wild. I mean, there were so many good things about it because because we went to the banquet, we got so much rich history about the whole event and we got to know like who all the members of the inner circle were we got to see man and woman of the year like it was a cool small town little thing but I mean I'm telling you what it was like nothing that I had ever seen in my life so that happened uh in our visit to Punxsutawney super wild I'm going to put a link in the where am I gonna put it I have no fucking idea I'm going to put a link in the episode notes to my blog on Groundhog Day, which also was an email. And if you guys do not get my emails, please do subscribe. You can subscribe on my website, getthefuckoff.com. There's a million places to do it. Basically at the the, the ass of every blog, you can do it. You can do it right on the main page. Join the Western Rebellion. You can also go to breakfree.getthefuckoff.com. You can do it that way. Um what other way can I tell you I don't know there's there's a zillion places to do it on my website you can also do it in the show notes of this episode if you don't get my emails you're going to want to remember what I said about like the coaching application please do fill it out if you want to have a conversation with me um just to get if you're if you're truly interested fill it out I can't tell you how wild it is when somebody is able to and it's personal right like it's a personal relationship because you're giving someone access to your mind but I promise I'll treat your mind with the utmost respect but I will I will fuck with it a little and only so that you can see so you can see there's nothing scary in there you just have to think a little bit differently because changing our thoughts really does change our reality I'm I mean there's a there's a ton of science we can explore that together fill it out it takes two seconds you know even it just fill it out Fill it out, getthefuckoff.com slash coaching. Fill it out. Fill it out. Just fill it out. 
Just fill it out. What the hell? Right? Fill it out. Uh, I'll be back maybe next week, maybe the week after. I'm still getting myself back into my groove. Uh, I have enjoyed talking to you today on the Get the Fuck Off podcast. Remember to slow down. Take care of yourselves. Please do stay safe. Stay beautiful. I'm back next week. Take care, everybody.